it's fun. It's fun. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Ulfstrom. A South Texas girl who couldn't even speak Spanish rose to unprecedented prominence in the male-dominated world of Tejado music. Her record-breaking rise to fame was compared to musical superstars like Madonna and Elvis. She, too, was famous enough to be known by a single name, Selena. But first, what's your favorite Tejano song? Well, I'll jump out. There's a classic song called Volver. Great song. And uh, it's on the first... There's a great version on the first Texas Tornadoes album, who are probably worthy of their own episode. I think we've talked about everybody individually. We need to do the group. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, before this year, I'd probably have to say before the next Teardrop Falls, which was a Freddie's Fender song. uh, It's not a true Tejano song. It's only it's more of a doo-wop song, and it's partially in in Spanish. Uh, But I'm going to go back to the beginning of the genre, a song we talked about in a great episode that we did earlier this year. And I'm going to pick Lidia Mendoza's Mal Hombre, which is... Just an amazing song uh, about a woman done wrong by a bad man. I'm not sure that I wouldn't could name a favorite Tejano song off the top of my head. Uh, mostly a genre that I've I've known in passing, but um, I have heard a lot of Texas Tornado songs, so uh, I'm familiar with theirs. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I got nothing on this one. <laughs> Google failed you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, it's, that, nothing stands out as like, what is your favorite Tejano song? No choice Sorry. is still a choice. <laughs> no. Selena Quintanilla was born on April 16, 1971, in the town of Lake Jackson, Texas. The youngest child of Marcella Ophelia Quintanilla and Abraham Quintanilla Jr. Abraham was a musician himself and saw the musical talent in his daughter at a very early age. He once told People Magazine, quote, Her timing, her pitch were perfect. I could see it from day one. Selena began performing as a nine-year-old with her siblings, Abraham III and Suzette, at their father's Tex-Mex restaurant, Papagayo's. Despite having Selena's developing talent that hopefully would bring t- customers into the restaurant, which opened in 1980, it suffered from a case of bad timing. This was the same year that a crash in oil prices brought a recession to Texas and to the refinery-rich Lake Jackson area in particular. Papagayos went out of business in 1981. The family declared bankruptcy, and they were evicted from their home. The family found their way to Corpus Christi, where Abraham formed a band around his talented daughter named Selena y Los Dinos, which is Selena and the Guys. The core of the band were the Quintanilla children. Abraham III played the bass, and Suzette played the drums. Abraham became the manager of the group as a full-time job, and their family depended on the income that the children brought in. The band's popularity grew, and by the time Selena was in eighth grade, her musical career had severely interfered with her education. Even before her father started pulling her from classes to play gigs, many of Selena's teachers voiced concern about how tired she was when she arrived at school. One teacher threatened to report Abraham to the Texas Board of Education. She believed that the conditions Selena was being exposed to were inappropriate for a girl her age. Abraham told her to, quote, mind her business. He eventually settled the conflict by taking Selena out of school entirely. 
Determined to complete her schooling, however, she earned her high school diploma from the American School of Correspondence in Chicago and eventually enrolled at the Pacific Western University, where she majored in business administration. Instead of school, Abraham refurbished an old bus he called Big Bertha, and the family turned it into a tour bus and hit the road. They played on street corners, weddings, quinceaneras, county fairs, anywhere they could get a gig. Early on, they literally sang for their suppers and often barely had enough money to pay for gas to get to the next engagement. Selena and her family recorded their first album in 1984, the eponymous Selena y los Dinos for Freddie Records. She wanted to sing in English, but instead recorded Tejano music because her father believed she should record music related to her heritage. Born and raised in the United States, however, Selena had to be coached by her father and taught Spanish phonetically to record the album. Her Spanish progressed quickly, and by 1985 she had appeared on the popular Spanish-language radio program The Johnny Canales Show for the first of many times. Rick Trevino was the founder of the Tejano Music Awards. He soon discovered Selena and her rise to the top in Tejano Music picked up steam with him as a sponsor. In 1987, at the age of 16, she won the award for Female Vocalist of the Year at the Music Awards, and this was her first win. She'd go on to win the award nine more times in her career. By 1988, Selena released five more records. Despite her success and fame, Selena's band was often turned down by Texas venues. Now, this is partially because her age, she's a teenager, not really supposed to be at a honky-tonk, but also because Selena, who was a woman, was the band's lead singer. Several promoters told Abraham directly that Selena would never be popular in the male-dominated Tejano genre. Both Jose Bajar of the new EMI Latin Records and his competition, the head of the Sony Music Latin label, saw Selena perform at the 1989 Tejano Music Awards. Bajar was searching for new acts and wanted to sign Selena, but Sony doubled EMI's initial offer. Bajar thought he had discovered the next Gloria Estefan and would have offered more, but his superiors at EMI believed he was being excessive. Even though the money at Sony was better, however, Abraham chose EMI Latin's offer because there was potential for an album that would cross over to the mainstream, and his children would have the benefit of being the first to sign on this new label. Before Selena began recording her debut album of the deal, Behar requested his superiors consider a crossover. She recorded three English-language songs for the heads of EMI's pop division, but they declined to put an album together because they felt she didn't have a large enough fan base to support it. Her self-titled debut album for EMI was released on October 17, 1989. She was only 18 years old. Most of the songs were recorded at Amen Studios in San Antonio, but two, Sukiyaki and My Love, were recorded at Sunrise Studios in Houston. Sukiyaki was a cover of a Japanese song from the early 60s that has been covered numerous times by artists both in Spanish and English. Selena's version was actually a Spanish translation of an English translation. And Selena wrote My Love Herself. Around this time, Chris Perez was hired as the new guitarist for Selena y los Dinos. However, his role quickly grew to be more. He had a girlfriend in San Antonio, but he developed romantic feelings for Selena. After a trip to Mexico with the band, Chris decided to try to distance himself because he believed it would be best for everyone. As the viewers of the show Nashville know, he soon found this impossible and instead, he decided to build a relationship with Selena. They soon became a couple. Because they feared that Selena's father, Abraham, would not approve and try to break them up, they kept their relationship a secret. Less than a year after releasing her debut album, Selena released her second studio album, Vin Conmigo. 
Three singles were released from this album. Yavez, La Tracalera, and Baila Esta Cumbia, a Tejano Cumbia song that became one of Selena's biggest hits. It was especially popular in Mexico, where a compilation album with the single's name was released. It would go on to sell more than 500,000 copies, making it the first Tejano record to go gold. One of Selena's fans, Yolanda Saldivar, asked Abraham if she could start a fan club in San Antonio after attending one of the concerts. Abraham approved because he believed a fan club would only bring more exposure for the band. Salvador quickly became a close friend of Selena and her family. In 1991, Salvadorian singer Alvaro Torres composed a duet he wanted to record with Selena. The song, Buenos Amigos, was released on Torres' 10th studio album, Nada Se Comprada Contigo. The song hit number one on the U.S. Billboard Top Latin Charts and became Selena's first number one single. The accompanying music video earned the two artists nominations at the 1992 Billboard Music Awards. The track was also nominated for Duo of the Year at the 1992 Tejano Music Awards. This success gained Selena enough popularity to expand her touring to the U.S. East and West Coasts. It also earned her more respect at regional Mexican and Tejano radio stations, which had previously dismissed Selena's songs. In 1992, Selena's sister Suzette caught her flirting with Chris Perez on the tour bus and ratted them out to her father. Abraham took Perez off the bus and informed him their relationship was over. Despite this disapproval, the couple, of course, continued seeing each other. Abraham called Perez a, quote, cancer in my family and threatened to disband the group if Selena and Chris continued their relationship. Though Selena and Perez at least pretended to call things off, Abraham fired Perez from the band anyway. This didn't discourage the couple, and they continued their relationship in secret. On April 2, 1992, they eloped. They knew Abraham wouldn't approve of their relationship, but believed he would be forced to accept it if they were married. Within hours, their marriage was announced by the media, and that's how Selena's family heard about it. Abraham, predictably, did not take the news well. He didn't keep quiet about his opinions on Perez, and in interviews explained that he feared his new son-in-law would be a machista, or a chauvinist, and would force Selena to give up her career and musical goals. You could say this is somewhat ironic, of course, since Abraham more or less forced Selena into her career at an early age. Eventually, Dad came around and apologized to Perez and invited him back to the band. One month after her elopement, Selena released her third major label album, Entre a Mi Mundo. Although it was her third EMI album and she'd released numerous EPs, singles, and self-recorded albums, the critics acclaimed this as her breakthrough album. It hit number one in the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Album Chart time for eight consecutive months. It was a certified six-time platinum with shipments of 600,000 copies, 385,000 of which were sold in Mexico. It was the first Tejano album by a female artist to sell over 300,000 copies. The album produced four singles, and Como La Flor became Selena's signature hit. She dominated the Latin music charts with it and became immensely popular in Mexico. She received a nomination for Song of the Year at the 93 Tejano Music Awards, and it peaked at number six on the U.S. Billboard Top Latin Songs chart. 1994, Entre Mundo was ranked as the second best-selling regional Mexican album of all time. When Selena was booked for a high-profile press tour in Monterey, Mexico, she was still far from fluent in Spanish, and EMI Latin executives were terrified about her limited ability to speak the language. Selena won over the Mexican media, however, and newspapers hailed her as an artist of the people. 
The media saw her as a welcome change from Mexican telenovela actors, quote, who were fair-skinned, blonde-haired, and green-eyed. This was especially effective in the Tejano community, who were often looked down upon as hayseeds by Mexican citizens. After her publicity tour, Selena played several concerts in Mexico, including a performance at Festival Acapulco in May of 1993, which earned her critical acclaim. Her concert in Nuevo Leon on September 17, 1993, had an attendance of 70,000 people and officially made her the biggest Tejano act in Mexico. Selena released her live album called Live a year after Entre a Mi Mundo. Recorded during a free concert at the Memorial Coliseum in Corpus Christi on February 7th, 1993, it had live versions of previously released tracks, as well as three new studio recordings. It also included a duet with Tejano musician Emilio Navarra. Two of the songs peaked in the top five of the U.S. Billboard Latin Songs chart. Live won a Grammy for Best Mexican American Album at the 1994 Grammy Awards and was named Album of the Year at both the Billboard Latin Music Awards and the 1994 Tejano Music Awards, nominated for Regional Mexican Album of the Year at the 94 Nuestro Awards. Live was certified gold by the RIA for shipments of half a million copies, and 250,000 of those were sold in Mexico. Selena took advantage of her stardom and began to diversify her career. She made her first foray into acting opposite legendary Hispanic actor Eric Estrada. Yes, Ponch from Chips. This was in the Mexican telenovela, which is, for those of you who don't know, Mexican soap operas. Uh, the telenovela was Dos Mujeres Un Camino, which is Two Women, One Path. She also guest starred in two episodes of another telenovela. All of the episodes she appeared in earned record ratings for the series. Selena branched out in other ways as well. In 1994, she began designing and manufacturing her own clothing line and opened a boutique in Corpus Christi and San Antonio named Selena, etc. In addition to selling her signature clothing line, they had in-house beauty salons. She planned to open additional stores in Monterey, Mexico and Puerto Rico. Yolanda Salvador, who had impressed the family with how she managed the official fan club, was hired to manage both stores. They were tremendously successful. According to Hispanic Business Magazine, Selena earned $5 million from her two boutiques and was ranked among the 20 Hispanic musicians who grossed the highest income in 1993 and 1994. In March of 1994, Selena released her fourth studio album, Amor Prohibido. It debuted at number three on the U.S. Billboard Top Latin Albums Chart and number one on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Album Charts. It became the second Tejano album to reach year-end sales of half a million copies, which had previously only been accomplished by the Tejano group La Mafia. Amor Prohibido spawned four number one singles and was one of the best-selling U.S. albums of 1995. The album helped make Tejano more popular among a younger and wider audience than any other time in the genre's history and produced two highly successful singles for 1994-95. The album earned a nomination for Best Mexican-American Album at the 37th Grammy Awards in 95 and won Record of the Year at the 1995 Tejano Music Awards and Album of the Year at the 1995 Lo Nuestro Awards. She is just hitting home runs after home run. Knocking them out of the park. Knocking them out of the park. Yep. Well, Selena was named one of Latin music's most successful touring act during the Amor Prohibido tour. 
After the album's release, she was considered bigger than Tejano itself and was named the Queen of Tejano Music. Billboard magazine ranked Amor Prohibido among the most essential Latin recordings of the last 50 years and included it on its list of top 100 albums of all time. Later in 2017, NPR would, would rank the album number 19 on their list of 150 greatest albums made by women. Selena recorded another single, Donde Quiera Que Estas, in collaboration with the Barrio Boys, and it was released on their album in 1994. That song reached number one on the top Latin songs chart and earned Selena enough expanded popularity to tour in New York, Argentina, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, and Central America, where she was still less well-known. After humble beginnings singing on street corners to support her family, Selena had risen to the top of a musical genre dominated by male Tejano artists. She had already begun conquering other areas of business with the clothing line, retail stores, and the beginning of an acting career. What could be next for this young superstar? While everything seemed to be going well, the seeds of Selena's tragic end were already taking root. Man, what a crazy career. You forget how much she was crushing it in the mid-90s. Yeah. yeah, early 90s. Early 90s. Early. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting that she was originally from Lake Jackson, because I know people from that area. <laughs> you married um, someone fact, from that area. <laughs> yeah. Fact, my, my wife was uh, just telling me a little while ago that uh, someone that was on her softball team back then um, actually had Selena as a babysitter when she was oh. young. So When she was home long yes. enough to babysit someone? Apparently, at some point. <laughs> So, uh, so a couple of things on this. So I, I can remember, we'll start at the beginning kind of. So the interesting thing is, so James, our friend James Avendroth uh, wrote this episode, helped write this episode and did a lot of the research for it. And uh, one of his notes is uh, that he thinks he went to Papagayo's when he was a kid. So I'm assuming that one year period where they were open. Uh, but uh, but that's real interesting that uh, that James says that he, he can he kind of remembers that restaurant. Um, the other thing I think is interesting is um, we talked about Lydia Mendoza uh, on a previous episode and how, when she was a little girl, she, she was singing with her family and, and they really relied on her and her sister's singing ability to keep the family uh, alive. And this was in the 1930s. So, you know, even as, you know, even things really don't change. And so, you know, when, when a family says, you know, they've got somebody that's really talented, that their talent really shines and stands out, you know, the, the, this, this family, the, the Quintanilla family put her right on the stage right on the spotlight to, and really depended upon her for many years to keep them for basically for most of her life to keep them, uh, uh, to keep them fed, to keep them going, to give them, you know, their, their living and their income. So I think it's interesting that, you know, even as a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, you know, in junior high, she was, her family was really relying on her uh, and, and utilizing her talent. Um, and, and, but that's not well, uncommon with, it's not uncommon with a lot of the families that I knew, you know, growing up in Texas, you know, you knew the, you knew families where the, everybody in the family had to work because they, they, they were maybe migrants or they just, they were farmers well, or they were workers and everybody kind of had to work. So, well, I would say think, though that, you know, well, now you know how Will Wheaton felt as a child. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, well, I mean, that's, you know, the, the tale of like, well, there's a, young kids or this or that but you know uh certainly there's there's no reason that that somebody like herself couldn't have ended up i mean look at the uh at that time you know they had that whole 
they're a little younger than her, but that whole crop of um, kids that went through the the that new Mickey Mouse Club, and then they all became right. fairly right. large superstars on some scale. I mean, she was a talented person, and the talent got recognized, and and she well and eclipsed. I think the, you know, well and eclipse the talent of her father and these people. And, and not only was she a performer, she was a writer. She was a producer. She was, you right. know, singer. She was uh, becoming everything. And she was, but I just, I re- recall, like, she was just everywhere. Uh, and right. I think, think for people outside of Texas, maybe don't get that. Or people, or, you know, people in Mexico and Texas get it. But I think, you know, you know, people listening in Seattle right now, there's a few less people listening in Seattle than in Texas, but for you guys or people who are in Great Britain, she was huge. Yeah. Well, in 1993, I mean, she we all up. were, we all were, we all were starting to listen to Nirvana, Pearl Jam, you know, that, that sound coming out of Seattle. And you know, we had already, we had already kind of heard the, the, you know, the pop music of, you know, the, 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 the hair metal and the rap and things like that. But, this was someone, you know, as I'll be honest, as a white kid growing up in rural Texas, you know, there there was not a lot of Tejano music that I was listening to. And yet someone of this level of success and talent was starting to be noticed. You would hear, oh, yeah, there's this Selena person. Oh, yeah, we're going to go we're going to go into to town and, and go to this the dance hall. And uh, that Selena's singing. And it's like, oh, you know, you started to you know, even if it, you were not in that culture of listening to Tejano music, you still started to hear about this person and about the success that she was having it was it was something that couldn't be ignored or yeah. denied well i heard a bit more growing up uh, not not from selena like i mean i i heard it but 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 i i had a lot more exposure to tejano music mm-hmm. in south texas as a kid and i just i think um it's it's kind of it's just i think we talked about this when we've talked about this in a couple of different episodes around the, the tejano music scene is that it's just it's its own thing Right. And it's kind of, you know, it's just its own thing. And she was just a breath of fresh air and she was just what they needed. And I, But I also think like that time, if you think about where we were in 1993, like I think the 80s had just run out of gas. And I think mm-hmm. if you look at the at the the lineup of Tango Stars, it was like, well, where's the next big thing? And I think that was sort of sort of what happened with her too is that you know she was she didn't look like other artists she didn't sound like other people she wasn't you know and when she did the the tv and the appearances it was like this is something new something different and something talented so right. i think it's yeah. just it was just it was a great time um yeah. and just what a rocket ship yeah the other thing i think is interesting culturally is that you know they made it we made a point about the fact that she didn't speak Spanish. She didn't. She didn't grow up speaking Spanish. She grew up speaking English. And and I think we all have friends who were who were uh, you know, second or third generation uh, Tejanos who who the only Spanish they really knew was what their their grandmother their abuela spoke at home. You know they could. And so if you listen to Tejano music today in a lot of the Tejano stations, especially some of the more pop oriented stations there's a lot of the commercials and a lot of the djs are speaking in english and it's just the songs that are in spanish or they'll go back and forth between some spanish a couple of spanish sentences and then a couple of english sentences you talk to it to a second or third generation tejano or fourth generation or fifth generation uh long-term texan you know they may they the south texas slang is is kind of a back and forth between english and spanish so i think she really represented that generation of 
of next generation uh, Tejano Americans, Mexican Americans uh, who were born in Texas, raised in Texas, raised speaking English, but they had their foot in their, their roots of, of their heritage. And I think she really, she really clicked also with that audience. That audience maybe wouldn't necessarily be interested in listening to the traditional cumbia or Tejano or, or, or Norteño music that was coming out at the time, but she brought in a pop sensibility and she brought in a connection with them. She was in the same place that they were. She was, you know, she was 20, what, 23, 24 years old when, when she really, you know, even not even that old when she really started to click. So I think that's yeah. what's, what's special about her as well is that is that notion that she, you know, she was charming also to the to Mexico, to people in Mexico, uh, even though she didn't speak the language as a native speaker. Oh, you know, she, she's still connected she, with the hair. Oh, she's she still connected with the hair. Yeah, and she picked it up, of course. <clears throat> I have one very specific saying I remember hearing one day. And I heard the song, and I was like, oh, God, that sounds so familiar. It was a cumbia song, and I'm like, that sounds exactly like the Pretenders back on the chain gang. I'm oh, listening yeah. to it. And it's called Fotos y Recuerdos, and it's just it's a cover. It's just a straight cumbia cover of of <clears throat> Chain Gang by the Pretenders. And I was just like, it's a, it's a great cover. It's like it, it wow. hit me out of left field and pulled me right in. It was like, oh, there's all, it was just a perfect, it's a perfect meld of these worlds. It's a fun track. It's one of those like little little gems that got lost along the way. And that was really the first time I went, I got to look this up. And this was <clears throat> before the internet, folks, really. I mean, like, <laughs> it took some work. <laughs> you had to seek it out. You had to go down, seek it out. Go My down Spanish to the, is terrible. You had to go down so to the took, Hastings. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and flip through their cassettes. Sound warehouse, yeah. So, anyway, it's it's uh, it, it's not exactly, but it's like the, it's it's fun. It's fun. So we are going to have a part two. Obviously, this story is not over. Um, if it, and if, if, if we're seeing the, the career tra- trajectory of Selena, uh, she is ready to take on the entire world. Uh, and so we're going to come back next week, and we will have the second part of the story. And it's not quite as a happy part of the story. So. Come back next week and hear the rest of the story. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast. Or go to brainstaple.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other amazing history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I am Scotticus. A big thank you to our good friend James Abendroth for helping us to research and write this episode. Look him up on Twitter or Instagram at Blackguard Press, and you can find his fiction work at blackguardpress.com. You love this show, you love Selena, you love Texas. So get out there, tell your friends about what we're doing, help them to subscribe, and go leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>